Welcome to The Picklist, the podcast for curious food industry minds. I'm Julia Glotz, a writer, editor, and consultant specializing in food and drink. Every week, I'm joined by an expert guest to discuss the news, trends, and developments shaping food and grocery retail right now. You'll get a personal perspective on how business leaders and leading thinkers from different parts of our industry are making sense of the big issues. My guests will also share what's on their personal reading list, bringing you a curated selection of thought-provoking articles from the trade press, national media, and other titles. You can find links to all the articles and suggestions for further reading in the episode show notes and also on thepicklist.co.uk. Now let's start the show. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of The Picklist. I hope you're all having a good week. I wanted to start by saying thank you to everyone who got in touch following my first solo episode last week. When I sit here in my living room, huddled over the microphone, recording the podcast, it's sometimes quite hard to picture you out there listening to what I'm recording. I can look at the stats, of course, I know that people are listening, but sometimes it's really nice to hear from real people and to hear that you're excited about the pick list being back and also that you're enjoying the new format. So thank you to everyone who got in touch. It really means a lot. Now, one of my absolute favorite things about doing the pick list is finding out which articles my guests have picked to talk about, partly because I'm very nosy and I do find it really interesting to see what people are reading but also because it often forces me to go outside my own media bubble and to read about issues that perhaps wouldn't have been on my radar otherwise. And that's precisely what happened with my guest this week, Falu Shah. Falu is the founder of Howder, a brand of Indian snacks that's listed in Sainsbury's, Ocado, Harvey Nicks, Selfridges, lots of other independents. And so Falu has a really interesting perspective on the snacking market, and you'll hear us talk about trends, and the rise of the at-home bar snack in particular, but she's also very purpose-driven and wants her brand to give back. And what she's done is she's partnered with a big charity to provide one free school lunch to a child in India for every bag of howder snacks that's sold. And this is really reflected in the article she's chosen as well. One of the pieces she picked for the show is about the impact that COVID has had on the education system in India and growing concerns about children dropping out of school and being pushed into child labour. Falu grew up in Mumbai herself and she talks really powerfully about why education is something that's incredibly close to her heart. And she also talks about the importance of sustainable giving and how she thinks food and drink brands, including brands in the UK, can help. She has a really great story to tell, and I certainly appreciated having my attention drawn to what's happening in India and taking a more global perspective. So that's coming up in a moment, but first, let me bring you up to speed on the big food and grocery retail stories from the UK this week. It was all about CO2 this week, of course, as a temporary halt in production at two chemical plants threatened to derail food and drink supply. As I record this, the government has managed to strike a deal to restart CO2 production at those two sites, which means the most immediate crisis looks to have been averted. But of course, there are concerns about higher CO2 prices driving up food prices further down the line as well. And of course, more generally, the supply chain remains under enormous pressure 
In the pig sector, for example, trade bodies this week warned that almost 100,000 pigs are backlogged on farms because of the CO2 shortages then compounding other existing issues, particularly around labour shortages. Staying with the supply chain crisis, there were warnings this week of the potential return of panic buying at Christmas. Tesco was among the companies to have been reported to have expressed concerns in a meeting with government officials about the possibility of panic buying, particularly if HGV driver shortages persist. Various food industry bodies are also sounding the alarm over potential shortages at Christmas unless the government take urgent action and issue emergency visas so companies can recruit from abroad. Aldi became the latest retailer to trial checkout-free stores. The discounter is set to start testing the technology at a store in London, which will shortly open to the public. Asda, meanwhile, is to trial driverless delivery vans. This is in partnership with a self-driving vehicle company called Wave. And again, that trial is due to take place in London, kicking off at the start of next year and running for 12 months. Morrison's was reported to be moving into food service wholesale, supplying pubs, restaurants and hotels thanks to a partnership with an online portal that allows businesses to order directly from suppliers. And M&S is looking to accelerate its digital transformation with its first venture capital investment in two decades. It's put nearly £20 million into a new technology fund managed by a company called True. And part of the idea is that the investment will help M&S get early access to emerging tech as well as to new thinking. Compass Group and Oxford University have been doing some interesting research on the impact of eco-labels on people's food choices. There's a write-up on the study in The Guardian this week. Not much in the way of specific facts and figures at this stage, but certainly some interesting observations around how labels and also product descriptions can drive consumer choice. Finally, vegetable oil sprays that help consumers manage their fat intake. Those have been around for quite some time. But now Saxa, the brand owned by Premier Foods, is looking to do the same for salt. It's launching two sprays, one in a sea salt variant, the other one a salt and vinegar version, that are designed to help people cut back on salt. Those are the key headlines this week. You can find links to all the stories I've mentioned in the episode show notes and on thepicklist.co.uk. And now, here's my conversation with Falu Shah. Falu, welcome to The Picklist. Thank you for being my guest. Julia, thank you so much for inviting me. Now, it's great to have you on the show. You are the founder of a brand called Howder, which makes authentic Indian snacks. Tell us a bit about Howder. How long have you been going? What sorts of products do you do? And what is the brand all about? So Howder is all about uh, bringing authentic Indian flavors to the British market. Um, I've been a big foodie, Julia, all my life. You know, I grew up in Bombay, uh, Mumbai now. And growing up in a traditional Indian household, I was very fortunate to be uh, exposed to home cooking, from my mom, grandmother, aunts, uh, neighbors. Um, you know, there's so much sharing uh, of food in India. And also living in Mumbai, I was uh, lucky enough to get exposed to a lot of street food. When I moved to this country, 
Uh, I used to walk up and down the grocery uh, uh, stores and uh, especially snacking. I was looking for those flavors. And there wasn't much, um, you know, other than crisps in those days when I came here, there wasn't a lot of choice. So I've always wanted to uh, bring those Indian flavors to this market. I started looking at uh, this more seriously and soon realized that there was a gap in the market. You know, there was premium Indian flavored snack was definitely missing, but there was also a demand. Uh, you know, Indian food has been the most popular, one of the most popular Friday night food for people. They know this food, they understand the flavors, but yet nobody was doing anything in the snacking category. So I've brought to the market these four flavors. Um, we've got four snacks at the moment, uh, Bombay mix, uh, masala dippers, onion bhaji, and bakrawadi. And the bakawadi is my favorite because you very kindly send some samples as well. And I can attest they are, they're delicious, but they're an interesting one, aren't they? Because they're a spicy yet sweet snack. And that was very unexpected. Um, did you find that you really had to sort of explain to British consumers and retail buyers what that was about? Absolutely. I think um, edu educating customer to these flavor profiles has been one of the challenges which we are working with. Um, because Indian food in people's mind is curries and Bombay mix. Um, and getting these flavor profiles, which is sweet and spicy together, uh, we've seen in recent time, lots and lots of products are bringing those flavors together. But when we launched it uh, early on, it was um, something we had to talk to, we had to sample, we had to explain what was going in it because it's it's got a mixture of fennel and cumin and cinnamon. So it's got natural spices which create that heat, but it's also got spices which bring out flavor. And where are you where where are you listed at the moment with your products? Um we are listed very fortunately we recently got a listing with Sainsbury's. Um, so during pandemic um just before uh, COVID um, happened. Uh, Howda was selected to go into future brands um, aisle. And um, we were supposed to go in March, but um, you know, there was a delay because of COVID and we landed into stores in June, July. Um, so yeah, we are, the snacks did really well during the time it was, it was one of the fastest selling snack on the fixture, on the future brands fixture. And from then on, because, you know, we got a permanent listing with Sainsbury's. But apart from Sainsbury's, uh, we started our journey with farm shops and fine food halls. So we are listed with Harvey Nichols, Selfridges. Um, we're online with Acado. And um, across the country, we are with fine food shops and farm shops. And there is another really important component to Howder that we're going to talk about quite a bit on the episode today. You describe Howder on your packs, actually, as the snack that gives back. What does that mean? And why is that so important to you? Snack that gives back um, is a simple concept. Um, it's an initiative we've taken on. It's one bag equals one free school lunch. So when you buy a snack, you are giving back a school meal to a child in need. It's very important to me because um, when I got into food business, uh, I was inspired by um, um, the founder of Tom's, uh, Blake Mykoski, uh, who did his one for one. Um, and I wanted to 
create a business that was going to give back. Um, what I'd realized is, you know, there are so many problems um, and people are constantly asked to help out uh, to charities. And as, as humans go, we always want to help, you know, I think there's no shortage of helping, but there's also a charity fatigue, which creeps in. Um, and I wanted to, I love the con concept of sustainable giving. And I felt that if for every bag we could give something back, then customer gets to enjoy a snack, but also without them having to fork out any money, they are feeding a child in need. Um, and that's very close to my heart because um, I believe education changes life of people, especially, you know, growing up in India, I was very lucky to, you know, to be here and to launch my business and to try my hand at different things. But I've, I've also seen if a girl is educated, she will change the life of not only her family, but people around her. And if I could find a way to get girls into education and keep them there. So not that our snacks bring them into education, but it helps keep them into education because receiving that free school lunch, we may not believe it, but it's such a big deal. It could be the only meal that that child might be having on a given day. And you have partnered with a big Indian uh, charity to deliver that, um, a charity that's, that's really well recognised, has a lot of expertise in, in that area. And I think they were recognised by BBC World Service as their global feed champion in 2019 as well. How did that partnership come about? And were you looking for a charity that would allow you specifically to work with schools and school children in India? Absolutely. Um, as I said, I was looking to find partner to help me give back in some way. And when we started this, my, my son was very keen on it, um, that, you know, can we do something with children uh, and education? And I felt that that was the right path for us. So we, we started with a number of different charities before we found Akshipatra. So Akshipatra is the charity who we have now finally partnered with. Um, and Akshipatra, as you said, you know, they are one of the largest charities who give back almost, I think, 1.8 million school lunches every day um, across India, uh, across different states. Um, and they deliver hot school meals. So as we started researching, we needed to be careful because um, unlike some of the big brands who give back, they have bigger product, bigger RRP and better margins to allow them. Um, whereas we are our tax retail, retail at £2.60. So for us to give back something, we had to make sure it was a sustainable way of giving back. So the business could survive and business could continue. Um, and when we came across Akshay Patra, we went and met with uh, visited kitchens in Mumbai and Ahmedabad. They've got state-of-the-art kitchens there. They showed us how nutritious meals are delivered. We visited schools with them. And we felt that was the right partnership for us because it allowed us to give back. It gave nutritious meal, it was transparent. Um, and it's transparent, it's important to be transparent to our customers that, you know, it's one meal, one bag, one bag, one meal. You know, there's a simple calculation. You don't need to think if we are profitable, only then we are going to give back. 
ethical issues are important to this generation. They want to support brands who are doing something for communities. Um, but it's also equally important for them, as well as for brands, to be very transparent because it's very easy to get lost when you're trying to give back and to give back sustainably. It's very easy to get lost in your profits and sales and figures. Whereas what we wanted is simple message. If you buy a bag, we're going to give us good lunch. And you have a very ambitious target as well, haven't you? You're looking to give back a million school lunches by the end of 2021. Is that still your target? And are you on track to achieve that? Absolutely. Um, that, that is our target. So we've obviously, you know, we relaunched the brand with the new packaging in 2019. Um, and since then, we've had very good uh, listings. Lots of retailers are supporting us. So we have given back so far more than 260,000 lunches. Uh, we're on track to deliver further 300,000 lunches, but because of COVID, schools have not open. So delivery hasn't happened. Um, and I'm really working towards my aim. I want to give back 1 million school lunches by end of this year. Um, and that, that, that's, that, I know it's an uphill climb right now because I've got only four months, but um, we've, we've had, uh, you know, customers are supporting us, retailers are supporting us. So yes, I am working towards that target. Fantastic. And when we get to talk about your first article, actually, we'll talk about just why that support is particularly important, given the impact that COVID has had on India specifically. But I'm interested in what you were saying about support from retailers as well. How interested are they in that charitable component when they're considering listing your brand? Is that something that's really top of the agenda for them? Or is that a nice addition but they're really focused on the fundamentals of, you know, are they tasty snacks? Are they at the right price? Are customers going to want to buy them? More and more retailers do want to support. So I think it's an added benefit to have something, you know, be sustainable or giving back or whatever. But the priority for anybody is if your product doesn't taste good, you're not going to have a repeat sale. And even if they give you a listing, if you do not have customers coming back for more, then it's not it's pointless exercise for them and for you. So I think first and foremost, retailers love to see what you're doing something extra, but then I think it's equally important that your product delivers. And snacking is such an interesting market, isn't it? It's a very crowded market as well. Lots of challenger brands in particular trying to do something around snacking. When you were talking to retail buyers, what are they looking for from snack brands at the moment? I think that retailers are looking for a point of difference to put, give you that shelf space. Um, they're looking, I, I think occasion has grown enormously in last year since COVID has happened. Uh, people are eating at home. Um, you know, they want to, uh, at home bar snack, I think is a very big category right now. It's evolved obviously in last two years very quickly. Um, snacks which deliver on, you know, the taste uh, trends uh, as the hot spices are current, you know, trend. People are wanting hot food, uh, as well as I think vegan, clean food, you know, free from artificial colors and flavors. Consumers looking for those key um, aspects in a snack. 
there, there are so many variations of crisps and popcorns and consumer is looking for something different. Uh, especially I think because of COVID, because we've been at home, people have had more time to research. Um, they want to explore new things. They want to have those flavor adventures. And I think retailers are responding to that. And I really like what you said about this um, at-home bar snack as a kind of new occasion, because you're absolutely right. There obviously has been much more at-home drinking or generally kind of, you know, um, I suppose sort of more sophisticated at-home eating. And the bar snack, in a way, is a, is a natural extension of that. I'm also interested in health and HFSS, because again, I feel like every time I'm talking to anyone in grocery at the moment, <laughs> and you're laughing, because of course, it's like, it's top of it's top of the agenda for everyone. How have you been affected by this? Have you had to look at recipes or are retailers asking you different questions about health at the moment? People want healthier product, but they still want taste. So it's going to be trying to get a balance of both, because if you take taste out of the product, you're losing the customer. Um, and uh, I think if the products are not healthy, again, it's, it's going to impact your future as a brand. So retailers are looking, they are discussing what, you know, uh, for us especially, yes, we've had retailers asking what are our plans? Have we got NPVs in pipeline? And yes, we have been working on that um, for a while and we are hoping to be introducing NPDs which will respond to that. Very interesting. I'm not going to push you too much on what the NPD might look like, because I know you'll you obviously you'll have your launch plans. But are you because at the moment you're in sharing bags and obviously portion control is a is a big part of the whole health piece. Are you looking at when you're talking about NPD, are you thinking primarily new flavors or reformulation or also different pack sizes? Uh, so we're looking at new flavors. Uh, we are bringing up new textures, new flavors, uh, new base component uh, or ingredients, so to say. Uh, but we are also looking in our current product range, which are very popular, such as onion bhaji um, and bombay mix, uh, masala dippers. We're looking at a different pack size as well. Uh, we're looking at both because current products are already you know, known, people want them, and uh, portion control makes very good sense. Um, for us to you know, launch into. But at the same time, we want to also continue with, um, you know, with our innovative products. So we are looking to launch um, new products as well. Now let's talk about your first article and it takes us back to an issue as we've already talked about that's really, really close to your heart. Your first article is from the LA Times and the headline is A Lost Generation, India's COVID Crisis Reverses Decades of Progress for Children. Fali, what are you like as a reader generally when you're sort of looking at industry news, trends, developments, and of course, not just industry, but the wider world as well? What are your reading habits like? I am um, like everybody else. I consume a lot of news. Um, a lot of it is online um, because I think you've got access to so many, you know, not just UK-based news, but I think food worldwide. So I do tend to have a lot of material which I pick up from online channels. Uh, I also um, pick up on uh, social media. I think Twitter and uh, LinkedIn 
offer really good opinion uh, pieces for people to, uh, for me to understand what's, what people are thinking, what, what brands are talking about. And I think in terms of keeping up with the industry news, I feel one of the most important things is to talk to your supply chain, to talk to your suppliers and buyers, because that one-to-one conversation really helps you understand what's happening on the ground, how, you know, and having those conversations also gives you the ability to react to things a little faster, a little better. This particular LA Times article that you have chosen, and just for context for, for listeners, the story that it tells is that India, of course, has been hit very hard by COVID, particularly by the Delta variant more recently. What this article focuses on specifically is the impact on school children and on education. Um, You've already mentioned schools have been closed during the pandemic. Many remain closed until now. Um, And the infrastructure for remote learning, for online teaching, isn't always there. Um, Certainly not in more rural areas or for poorer members of society. So what the article explains is that there's this real risk now that millions of children in rural India in particular could become a lost generation because the pandemic has disrupted their education in a way that's potentially irreversible. Um, There are some really quite harrowing figures actually in the article itself. Just to pull out a couple here. Um, So they report that already more than 58,000 children in India have been rescued from child labour in the most recent fiscal years because as children drop out of education, there's pressure on them to support families. Many of them uh, end up having to work instead. And in fact, globally, the UN estimates the pandemic will drive an additional 8.9 million children into work by the end of 2022. Fallu, we've already talked about this is an issue that's very, very close to your heart. What is the charity that you're working with at the moment? What are they telling you about what's happening on the ground in India, how they are approaching this crisis? How are they even able to support children if they are not in school at the moment? I think um, challenges bring out innovation to some extent. And... um, Akshay Patra is a fantastic charity in that uh, that they have responded. Whilst the schools closed down, it compounded the problem because children were at home and delivering meals to a child's home was obviously not going to be easy. But it was not just a child who was coming into school who needed feeding. It was also the immediate family because so many people and families are affected by COVID. And uh, Akshay Patra has started something called Happiness Kit, which gives food not just for the child, but also for the immediate family. And they've done this quite successfully. Obviously, a whole lot more needs to be done. But they've started with these boxes. They not only deliver food for the family for 21 days or so, I think, but they also put in books for them because... One of the problems which you identified from the article is children don't have access to internet. Uh, 70% of India who lives in rural India do not have access to internet. And therefore to expect them to pick up education online was not going to be feasible. And uh, Akshay Patras tried to bridge that gap through putting books or education material 
which goes into the box. So I, I think that they've done a fabulous job, um, but a lot more can be done. And I was interested in what you said a little earlier about charity fatigue with you know, UK consumers or, or consumers in, in other countries. Because I, I, I wonder to what extent the pandemic has affected that. If I'm thinking about school meal provision, of course, we've had a very live discussion here in the UK, the Marcus Rashford campaign. Obviously, the pandemic has created hardship here in the UK as well. Have you found that that has made people more open to helping out in other parts of the world because they are more aware of the impact or has it made people more inward looking and made them think a little bit more about their immediate surroundings and their own neighborhoods and their own countries what's your sense I I think for me more than my customer because problem in our country is growing as well children are going hungry and almost three million children are without food or breakfast so to say so Before I think about what customers are reacting, I think I myself feel that we as a business have a responsibility to do more at home whilst not stopping what we are doing in India because the gravity of situation may be different. Um, But it's by that you cannot think what's happening here is any lesser because hunger is hunger and a child who's hungry going into school is not going to be focused, it's going to be pushed behind by years of education. One of the problems for a business like ours is we are dictated by the packs which we sell. So if our RRP is dropping or is at certain level, there's only so much you can give back so that you stay sustainable. And to do lunch meals over here food you know give full meal over here it's in the region of one pound to four pounds so it's really something which is difficult for us to participate in but we're looking at alternate ways that we can be of assistance um, and I think as far as customers concerned we've not had any negative feedback to we don't want you know that we don't want to give to someone in India whilst children are hungry here. I think people realize that hunger is a issue. It's a human issue. It's not related to just one country or one location. And we've never had anyone who's complained or we've had, if anything, I've only had positive feedback about how fabulous and that job we are doing and that they hope they can continue to help us. So, I think people are generous in that sense. And I I also suppose that brands like yours make it easy, as you said a little earlier, make it easy for people to act on that instinct that they want to give something back, but in a way that's easy, that's just buying a snack. It doesn't necessarily require setting up a direct debit with with a charity. And not to say that that, that level of commitment is not also ne- needed and, and desirable, but it's it's a small way and quite a frictionless way, isn't it, for people to, to feel like they are making a difference in a way that's quite accessible. Totally. Um, I think you, that's a very, very good point you make, that um, it's an easy way to give back. And... I feel if more businesses 
were to join in something of this nature, whereby it's frictionless. I think it's so easy for businesses to do it. And for consumer, charity fatigue does happen because when you have to set up an account and then you get emails and then, and there are, you watch television, you watch online channels, there's always a need to do more. But if there was a way for customers to give back without having to set up something, that I'm sure more people will be supporting those businesses. Fantastic. Now I want to move you on to your second article. Again, very, very topical. Uh, We're going to talk about the supply chain crisis, which of course has been top of the agenda for, for absolutely everyone. The article that you have picked is from BBC News and the headline is Food shortages could be permanent, warns industry body. Um, The industry body they're referring to is the FDF, and it's from a speech by their director general, Ian Wright, who warned that because we're seeing structural changes in the labour market in the UK, that consumers might not be able to find the products they always want on supermarket shelves, and that this could well become a more permanent state of affairs. Fallu, what was it about this particular article that caught your eye? Why was this something you wanted to talk about? The article touches on just in time. Um, We've been so used to, as consumer, we're so used to getting what we want at any time we want. So with the onset of Amazon and dark stores, you know that you can get things within one hour. And we are constantly pushed into you know, making last minute decisions. Um, and I think this article brings out that there will be, if there is a food shortage, if it's not changeable, uh, reversible, we're going to have to get used to not getting anything at any time that we want. And I feel, of course, you know, we change, consumer behavior changes and it adapts very quickly. And I feel sometimes less is more. And probably, you know, in some ways, whilst we don't have as much choice, it will also allow consumers to make right choices. And if I'm, am I right in thinking that Howder is manufactured in India at the moment? Have you been in any way affected by supply chain issues? Has it been harder for you to get product out of India and distribute it to the UK? No. um, So we've been very fortunate um, that we've not been caught up or caught out uh, in supply chain issues so far. Um, We've reacted as well. We've responded much sooner. So we've worked with our manufacturer, making sure that, you know, if there were any issues, how do we work with them ahead of time. How do we make sure that they get forecasts from us well ahead of time? Um, so we've been very fortunate. Uh, we've, not, we've not been affected by the issue, but we hear of those issues, you know, especially when we are moving goods around here. You've got to work constantly to make sure that deliveries are taking place on time when they are taking place. And we do, fall into, you know, where priorities product is shifted faster than lesser priority products. Um, but overall, it's not impacted us. I, I think we've, we've kind of so far not been affected by it. 
That's very good to hear. Of course, in light of all this various supply chain issues that we're going through at the moment, there's a lot of talk about nearshoring and bringing production closer to home. Have you, as a result of what's happening in the wider industry, have you looked at your own supply chain and maybe thought about potentially moving manufacturing to the UK? So when we launched our brand, um, we looked at manufacturing here. Um, what we came across is to get the flavors, um, get the authenticity in our product. We were not getting that those flavors right once we tried because a lot of these products are quite complicated with number of ingredients which go into it. So at the moment, we're not looking at bringing manufacturing to the UK. What we are already doing is production is in India, but we are co-packing in this country, which allows us to keep some control and distribution is easier as a result of that. Now, the final article we will talk about is an article I picked from The Drum. And the headline is UK CMOs expect D2C to account for 30% of sales in five years. This is from a piece of research by Channel Advisor, and they surveyed 300 UK brand CMOs about direct-to-consumer selling. And I thought the stats were quite interesting, and it was a good opportunity to talk to you about your experience of, of D2C as well. Just to pull out a couple of stats for listeners here, so 97% of the CMOs that were surveyed in this piece of research say D2C channels have become a priority for them during the pandemic. I think that's probably not surprising surprising, but 97% is pretty high. And 47% say their brand is selling more as a result of going D to C. And then the forecast, which is what that headline referred to, is that nearly 50% of those marketers at brands say they expect D to C to account for up to 30% of sales over the next five years. So I was really keen to understand how you have experienced D2C and how important that is to your brand now. Because you have a web shop, but you also sell through subscription boxes and, and recipe kits. Just tell, give us an overview of what kind of D2C you do at the moment. Omnichannel is the way forward and it's the way for us. Um, because we are a young brand, we are a challenger brand, um, to go directly only into D2C with very limited um, snack offer, we've got four snacks. It doesn't justify us putting a lot of money into our website. Um, what we have tried to do is we've obviously got our store, web store for people to buy from. And uh, we did really well in, you know, in the last two years on our website, there was much more footfall. Um, people were very interested and the purchase level did shoot up for us as well. However, we've tried to make sure we can support our retailers who are giving us the space in their store because I believe that as a challenger brand, people want to go and see your product, want to see what it's like. And in the old days, we could sample, but obviously we can't sample anymore. Uh, but the stores are happy to start sampling. So that gives us that opportunity for customer to give a trial to us. So we are looking at keeping both channels open for us. You know, people can come and buy from us and we give a point of difference by giving them a trial pack of four or tasting pack of eight. But most of the time we work very hard with our uh, retailers, with, uh, you know, the dark stores, with the online channels, subscription box companies, where, you know, 
they are they are already investing so heavily in these channels that it's easier for us to work with them. And as we were talking earlier, um, people are buying, you know, it's an at-home bar snack. So our, our snacks go really well with craft beers, gin and tonics. Um, even coffee brands are picking us up now. So it's easier for us to partner with them and get into their customer base. At the same time for them, they're getting a very innovative snack which works with their products. So it's a really win-win partnership for us to work with them. And that's what we've tried to do. You know, we've, we want to make sure it's, we, we remain open to all, you know, store as well as online. So have you, in, on the subscription side, have you prioritized or have you worked primarily with subscription providers that do alcoholic drinks and coffee? Has that been, been the focus? That, that, yes, so we, we picked up on that early on when, uh, you know, COVID hit and soon people were wanting bar snacks with their drinks. And we reached out to subscription box companies, especially craft beers and um, gin and tonics and uh, such gift hampers. Again, our snacks work very well with them. So we did reach out and that that gave us a very quick you know, revenue. One of the reasons that brands are always interested in, in direct selling is obviously the opportunity to get some data and to, to see trends in, in, in demand that you're perhaps not always getting directly from retailers. What is it like working with subscription box providers? What level of data and insight do they typically share and how do they compare with your, your typical big four retailer in terms of access to data? I think before I move on to access to data, one of the points which you mentioned just now gets your website lets you get closer to your customer. And one of the things which we use our website for, and we think it's really good place for us to talk to our customer because we want our customers to feel closer to what we are doing in terms of giving back. And that story we can tell through our channel. So in that sense, having your website and to be able to live and breathe your giving back aspect through your website, tell your story is key for us. It also allows us to gain brand uh, customer loyalty because once the customer understands what we are doing, what we see is a repeat footfall. They are coming back regularly to support us. So in that sense, website has really been important and that data has been very crucial for us to talk to them. Uh, going back to your question, um, I think it's it's more difficult to get a lot of data out of you know, subscription box companies or dark, store, dark stores, so to say. Um, it's much, you, you have a better access to data through supermarket. Uh, we do try and get, you know, talk to our um, subscription boxes or gift hamper providers if there was any way they could share more data and understanding. But it's it's not something that's easily available. And it's still quite an emerging or, or nascent part of the market as well. So perhaps it'll take a little bit more time for for, for some of that data to, to become available. So Fallo, we're nearly at the end of our time together, but can you just give us a bit of a sense of what you have planned for the next six to 12 months? What's next for Howdy? You've already talked about NPD. Do you have any other plans you can share? 
Absolutely. Um, customers are looking. We are so aware of our environment and how to reduce our packaging and make it more um, recyclable or environment friendly. Uh, that's been on my mind for a while. Um, whilst, you know, it's been difficult because snacks need long shelf life, they need freshness, um, therefore you end up having to use foil. Um, and it's not very easy. Our packaging is quite complex to uh, recycle at the moment because whilst we use paper, we also have to use foil. Um, but I'm really excited to say that we are running trials and one of our new product will be coming out in recyclable, 100% recyclable packaging. Um, and if that, that trial is successful, if the products remain fresh and give us the shelf life, then we will be introducing uh, across all of our range. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how, how it works out. And we'll be doing that little bit uh, towards reducing the impact. And what's the timeline on that? When are you expecting that new flavor in recyclable packaging to be out in the market? As early as next month. Oh, wow. So it's I'm really thrilled. Yes, I'm really excited to say the new products launching next month. I'll have to send you some snacks for you to Please. try and tell me what you think of them. Um, but at the moment, I can't share more about the product itself. But packaging is recyclable. Brilliant. Fallu, thank you so much for coming on The Pick List. Julia, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to do this interview with you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and found it useful. If you did, please consider giving The Pick List a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening and leave a review. It tells me you're enjoying the show and would like it to continue, and it helps me reach more listeners. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn, at juliaglotz.com and on thepicklist.co.uk. And if you'd like more thought-provoking reads for your personal reading list, please subscribe to The Trim, my free weekly newsletter at juliaglotz.com forward slash newsletter. See you next time.